couple years ago, I was sitting down, uh, taking a break from my job at The Athletic Media Company, and uh, I was drinking a non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing, and I thought, uh, hey, this this could be a partnership because I'm, I'm an ad wizard, and so I put those two things together, and took a couple years, but now I get to read ads for Athletic Brewing and uh, their non-alcoholic beers, and I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it because I like the product. I like the product for a variety of different reasons. There are times where I'm uh, the designated driver, and that is, it's perfect for me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a whole lot. There are also times where I'm not the designated driver, but it's going to be a long day of gabbing, and I don't necessarily need to have 10 IPAs in a row. So I will mix in an athletic, non-alcoholic beer, and I, I feel like I don't miss a beat, and it allows me to pace myself uh, the way I want to do it. It's perfect for beach days, music festivals, and baseball games, camping, late nights. Uh, they have a ton of different varieties. They have uh, light. They have upside uh, Don Golden. They have Run Wild IPA. They have a hazy IPA. They have summer seasonals. They've got a, a lemon Rattler ripe pursuit. I don't even know what a Rattler is, but now I want to try it. I feel bad that I haven't tried it. So this summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off. It's near beer, non-alcoholic beer, and it tastes Listen, I grew up with some funky ones. Uh, those didn't taste like beer. This tastes like this. This is good non-alcoholic beer. Uh, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 14th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. It is Prospect Tuesday, as we call it. It does not have the same ring as Taco Tuesday. The name is still being workshopped even in month three of this show's existence. On this episode, we'll dig into a few recent debuts. We'll talk about a few prospect-related injuries, including one prospect who recently returned from an injury. We'll take a look at a few trending players, and we'll have a, a level roundup at high A with a few potentially very deep sleepers, names that were not on my radar at all going into the season, at least. So hopefully some goodness to be discovered, for at least for some people, in the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, Al, let's start with a debut. We talked about him a bit on the Friday waiver show. Gabriel Moreno up for the Blue Jays right now. And I think at the time we were Split on his appeal in single catcher leagues, even though I think we both like him from a skills perspective. So if we're trying to place him with a little more precision on a rest of season ranking sort of list, is he in the fringe for like the top 20 to 25 among catchers right now, given that he doesn't have a full share of playing time behind the plate right now in Toronto, even though Danny Jansen's move to the I.L.? was the move that ultimately opened up a roster spot for Moreno in the first place. Well, it's funny that you you have framed it this way because I know when we talked about Moreno on Friday's show that I was more of the pessimist. And yet I think that putting him on the fringe of the top 20 is is way too pessimistic, <laughs> actually. Uh, I think just because the upside alone 
make some more fringe like top 15. Uh, maybe that's not a huge difference, but I do think that he, there's no question that in a 12 team to, to catcher league, there's a place for, for Moreno there. Um, in a 15 team to catcher league, maybe he's your, your number one catcher. Um, so I, that's, that's where I see Moreno going forward. Because the thing is, if he gets sent back down, if he doesn't play enough, if he doesn't hit well enough, you're going to be able to find somebody on waivers who's going to be able to replace or probably you know do better than <laughs> whatever it is that makes Moreno unplayable. So that that's where I have him. Yeah, I'm looking at the Rotowire earn values for catchers so far in 2022. And I usually when I set it up, I'm running it for either a 12 or a 15 team league. It's on a 12 team setting right now. And there are only three catchers who have earned double digits in dollar value so far. Wilson Contreras, Dalton Varsho, and Tyler Stevenson. And then beyond them, there's only maybe nine more who've earned a dollar or more. So <laughs> it's been a rough year for the position. I mean, you look up and down. A lot of times what you, you lose from your catcher is the runs and RBIs that you get from other spots in your lineup, right? Catchers tend to hit lower in the order as a result less run production, but then you're also, in many cases, taking a hit in batting average. Even when the whole league is taking a hit in batting average, relatively speaking, it does seem like catchers in particular are still lagging pretty badly in that category. And there's a couple outliers sprinkled in, right? Sal Perez missed a bit of time earlier this season, just hasn't been himself to this point either. Uh, 212, nine homers, 29 RBIs. Some of the younger catchers on here, I think have very bright futures. Alejandro Kirk is fourth in dollars earned. And even Varsho and Stevenson, you know, obviously not prospects anymore, being at second and third. Those are younger players. Varsho really building on what he did in the second half of last season. You know, Stevenson sort of taking off with Tucker Barnhart gone. So we are at the beginning of a, a long-term shift. Adley Rutschman, who we talked about you know, many times on this podcast, he's up and probably up for good now. MJ Melendez, who's doing a great job hitting the ball hard. And I saw him make a diving catch in the outfield over the weekend, I think it was. And he's he's definitely more athletic than I would have thought for a catching prospect. I know they suggested they might play him at third base to make all the pieces fit. And I guess a team willing to play a catcher at third base must see something athletically in that player. But I'm worrying less about MJ Melendez's playing time now than I was prior to his debut because I think they're willing to push it a lot more on the versatility front. So anyway, all of this is just to say that catcher has been a mess. So the threshold for being useful in a two-catcher league is pretty low. And with the skills that Moreno has shown us in the minor leagues, he might be a lot more than useful, at least in those two-catcher formats. So playing time, maybe closer to a 50 to 60% share in the short term could change quickly if he's hitting enough. Let's move over to a couple of outfielders who have debuted recently. Kyle Stowers getting an opportunity in Baltimore. Anthony Santander uh, did not accompany the team to Toronto, which I think people by now understand what that means. Uh, with Stowers, there's a good bit of raw power in that bat. 12 homers so far this year at AAA in 49 games. OBP is good. Average could be a category where he lags at the big league level, but he hasn't been a liability as he's come through the Orioles system. So, how do you see the playing time working out for Stowers once Santander is back with the team? Do you see enough there for Stowers to become mixed league relevant? 
I think if the Orioles go to some sort of outfield rotation, which when you you know you look at the names involved, Santander and Austin Hayes, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini, you know all all players that could uh, fill outfield or first base or DH slots. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's really a lot of room for Stowers there, but I I think that Santander really doesn't need to be an everyday player. I mean, I think there could be room for him and Stowers to rotate. So I don't actually think that's going to happen. I think it's going to take an injury or a trade and a trade. It could be very likely, but that could be more than a month away still. Uh, but I, I think that's in reality, that's probably what, what it's going to take. Right. And I think that means you know, once we get to the weekend series, there's a chance Stowers goes back down regardless of what happens in his first handful of games at the big league level, unless they're willing to go down that path and, and play Santander less. I think he's doing just enough where they'd want to keep seeing what they have in him, keep seeing if they can maybe get a slash line, at least on the power front, that more closely resembles 2020 from Santander. All that's to say, Trey Mancini, if you were listing Orioles and their likelihood to be traded, it seems almost certain that Trey Mancini is going to be playing somewhere else by the time we get to the trade deadline. Unfortunately for the Orioles, it's a skill set that teams just don't give up a lot of long-term value to get. Mancini, of course, is a great story. I think he'd be another useful piece in a good lineup, probably a good you know, five or six hitter on a more competitive team, and that would work out just fine. And He's putting together a pretty nice season just in terms of average and OBP. A little less power than expected, too, though, among the players that, because of the changes in Baltimore— just isn't getting the same results that we're accustomed to. Only six homers in 58 games this year for Trey Mancini. Not a guy I have a lot of places, so I'm definitely surprised to see the power lagging that much, even if we expected it to come down just a little bit. Yeah, and I think for Mancini, it's yeah maybe partly a case of the, the park factor, but I think just somebody who also has underperformed his peripherals. And right now I'm just looking at his fan graphs page and seeing he's got a 424 slugging, but a 561 X slugging, which is not something I necessarily take at face value all the time, but he's got a barrel rate. That's, that's right in line with the numbers he's put up pretty much every season, 10.5%, uh, 43%, uh, uh, percent hard hit rate. So, you know, these are the numbers you're used to seeing from Trey Mancini, Mancini, except for that home run rate. So uh, I think that there could be a surge coming for him anyway, which I realize that's taking us off the track of talking about prospects. But uh, I think just another thing, maybe that does stand in the way of Kyle St- uh, Stowers uh, getting some regular play uh, when Santander comes back. Yeah, good news, of course. We will have a few days to see what happens, and maybe we'll have some clarity going into the weekend before our Friday waiver show to know if there's any sort of uh, immediate need to go get Kyle Stowers in weekly formats. Uh, one other outfielder who should debut soon, he was at least called up to the big leagues, Cannon Smith and Jigba in Pittsburgh, a left-handed hitting outfielder. It cost Travis Swaggerty his roster spot, so you know one prospect taking a spot from another Smith and Jigba, I think, has pretty consistent OBP skills and speed. He has not shown a lot of pop in the upper levels of the minor leagues, though. So I think if he sticks on this roster, we're probably looking at a player who's more relevant in NL-only leagues and really deep dynasty leagues as opposed to someone that we're going to be going after in the short term in mixed league formats. If if uh, Smith and Jigba can get some pretty regular playing time, I would be bidding on him in uh, 15-teamers. Uh, I actually find him more intriguing for fantasy purpose, purposes than Travis Swaggerty. 
because uh, there is something there with maybe some steals potential in OBP leagues, obviously uh, a lot of appeal there. And I think even in batting average leagues uh, that he could at least contribute in the average and stolen bases category. So I think there's a maybe a slightly broader appeal, uh, but it's all a question of, I know we're talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates here. You wouldn't think that a prospect would have to worry about playing time, but uh, they're, they're trying to give a lot of looks to a lot of young players right now. Swaggerty, uh, didn't even make the cut long term, so uh, we'll have to see how this one flushes out. But I'd like to see uh, Smith and Jigba get get a, a little bit of run and see what he can do. Yeah, I want to see more of their young players. I know we're going to get there, but you're right. There's a, a bit of a volume crunch, even though not everyone they're trying to break into the big leagues is going to be a long-term regular. They have to make a few more decisions about some of the older players on this roster sooner rather than later. The guy in Pittsburgh that's actually played quite a bit lately is Tucapita Marcano, and he looks a lot better this time around than he did in his brief debut with the Padres in 2021. Still very young. He was young for the level when he debuted, just 22 years old. That that looks like the most firm playing time situation to take advantage of with a young Pirates hitter right now. And it'll help you up the middle, I think, at least in 15-team mixed leagues. Maybe there's a path for him, depending on lineup placement, to make his way into the equation for 12-team mixed leagues at some point in the not-so-distant future. Let's get to some injury-related items. Still a prospect, even though it doesn't seem like one. Shane Boz um, came back and, and mostly... I think he just lacked command in that start, Al. It, you know, from a results perspective, also a tough matchup going on the road to face the Twins, but also not the kind of matchup that you would steer away from with a pitcher like Boz if everything is going well. And looking at the underlying numbers, the four-seam velocity was down about a full tick from where it was last year in Boz's season debut. The drop from 97 to 96 isn't nearly as alarming as the drop from, say, 93 to 92. Uh, slider velo was actually up compared to last year. He threw more curveballs last season than he did in his first start, so the pitch mix wasn't quite the same. I think this felt like rust to me, looking at the results and, and seeing that the velo wasn't quite where it was and thinking also that Boz debuted late last season when velocity might have been at its peak for the entire year to begin with, so... Uh, even though it wasn't encouraging at all in terms of results, just seeing him back out there and seeing the stuff mostly intact, I still am very optimistic about what Boz can do as a very impactful pitcher in pretty much all formats for the rest of the season. Yeah, and that's really where he deserves to be rostered. Uh, 10-teamers, 12-teamers, uh, maybe stash him for now, especially in the shallower leagues until we can see some better command. Because I think that's that's absolutely right, DVR, that uh, you just one thing that really sticks out to me from Boss's profile from that one start against the Twins is um, just 41.7% uh, first pitch strikes from Boss. So... That's pretty abysmal, uh, and and I imagine that uh, you know that that's just that's not what we're going to see from Shane Boz. And he he was very good in his rehab starts, and I know that's not an indicator of what he's going to do in the majors, but I, I think we'll see better from him, and likely it'll be soon. Yeah, I think the turnaround might just be this week. It might not take long at all for the rust to come off for Shane Boz. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. A lot of other injury news to get to, though. Royce Lewis, unfortunately, tore the same ACL that cost him the 2021 season. So a huge setback for him, unfortunately. And it was at a time when everything was going so well. I mean, this was the best version of, of Royce Lewis that we have seen really at any point during his professional career. All the pieces were falling into place. He was working on learning a new position at AAA, multiple new positions to try and become more versatile and to fit into this Twins lineup on a regular basis. Held his own during a debut earlier this season, and now it's probably going to be May or June of 2023 before we see him back in game situations again. Yeah, really disappointing. Uh, looked like it was going to be a, a breakout year for Lewis, but we'll just have to wait until, like you said, probably about this time next year, and uh, hopefully we'll see a similar performance then. It showed so much, though, at AAA and during his brief time in the big leagues. You know, If you're playing in a keeper or dynasty league and, and looking to the future, you know, just making moves for beyond this season, I do think he's shown enough. To, he'd be the kind of player you want to trade for uh, and, and have – when he comes back, because I think the the performance could end up really being a consistent five-category sort of performance for him, uh, with speed especially, 12 for 14 and 34 games at AAA, and plate skills that were getting better too, a career-high 11.8% walk rate, highest since rookie ball anyway, for Royce Lewis this season with AAA St. Paul. Jordan Lawler in the Diamondbacks organization is progressing back to complex ball. He has been missing some time with a benign bone growth on his rib. With Lawler, I don't know if there's a whole lot to add here, Al, but off to a great start this season and probably has a chance to see another level before the season is out. I have to think there's a very good chance he splits his season and gets a bump up to high A. Yeah, 176 WRC plus in Class A. That definitely does scream that he is ready for the next level. So, uh, and in addition to just the the sort of metrics that give you that kind of stat, uh, eighteen stolen bases in thirty three games. So, pretty exciting prospect, and hopefully moves, hopefully gets healthy, and hopefully moves up soon. Tools on tools on tools needs to be tested at a higher level, and I think it's coming here once maybe once he's done with the complex. Perhaps they'll announce that promotion or maybe mid season. Uh, Zach Galoff, a third baseman in the A's organization, actually missing time now with a torn labrum and his non-throwing shoulder. Good news for his defense, but still, of course, an issue as he tries to hit. And Galoff is one of those players that I thought actually had a shot at maybe debuting by the end of this season. I know the A's have no incentive to bring a player up from double-A for this season. Um, now probably more of an early 2023 sort of call-up in the best-case scenario, but a little bit of power, good amount of speed, too, for a guy that might be able to play multiple positions. I think the biggest thing we're watching is the strikeout rate, 26.8%, really the only yellow flag in the profile as it pertains to Geloff. 
Yeah, I mean, it would seem to be the the long term solution to fill that hole left by Matt Chapman. And uh, A's have called up Jonah Bride. Uh, maybe he'll be the the short term solution at third base. But uh, yeah, Geloff definitely somebody that uh, needs to be rostered and in all dynasty leagues and, and on the radar for probably not this season, but but definitely for next season and redraft. Yeah, what are you doing with, with Bride? I mean, I see some. I don't know, Ty France in this profile, I guess, just in terms of being a little old for the level, mashing in the upper levels of the minor leagues, right-handed bat with a low K rate and a good walk rate pretty much everywhere he's been, too. Opportunities wide open, of course, on the A's roster right now. And in what types of leagues are you interested in Bride? At this point, just AL only, which is reminding me that my AL only team has a lot of A's and a lot of Orioles, which you think would not bode well for it, but... (laughs) It's actually doing pretty well, uh, but there's always A's and Orioles to be had to fill to fill those holes, and uh, Bride will certainly be filling one of them for me, uh, hopefully very soon. Roster spackle, the, uh, the yes. A's and Orioles for those deep, deep leagues. <laughs> Austin Wells in the Yankee system was missing time with a groin injury, hasn't played since mid-May. He's at the high A level right now, but really having a, a nice season at the plate just in terms of overall offensive production, hitting 323 with a 429 OBP and a 576 slugging percentage. So you know, if he stays behind the plate, another catcher is part of this big youth movement at the position and one that could do a ton of damage as he continues to advance. And I think he's the kind of player that's probably going to see sometime at double A before the season is out. Got Robert Hassel back in the lineup at high A. He missed a couple of weeks on the COVID IL, so nice to see him healthy and playing again. Uh, Henry Davis was missing some time at double A Altoona. He returned to the lineup just prior to the weekend. And one of our most discussed players on this show, Max Meyer in the Marlins system, pitched a simulated game over the weekend. That according to Christina DeNicola of MLB.com. Uh, good news for Meyer for sure. And I still think there's a path for him, if he's healthy this season, to carve out some kind of role, be it a multi-inning glue guy reliever or a possible solution in the back of that Marlins rotation. Yeah, um, a thought occurred to me too that really has no basis in any, certainly not in any reporting or anything that I've heard. But I, I, th- I think about the the Zach Gallon deal that brought Jazz Chisholm over. And I think that was a de- deadline deal mm-hmm. a couple years back. So given that the, the Marlins are still pretty deep in pitching, I have to wonder if maybe uh, Meyer would be a candidate for, for that kind of trade. Uh, I think, you know, certainly Braxton Garrett did well. Uh, in his current stint. But again, pure speculation on my part, but you know, I never thought Gallon would get traded. <laughs> no, that was one of the more surprising recent deadline deals that I can remember. And I think the reaction was, okay, yeah, that, that could actually work. That kind of makes sense. But Zach Gallon looked really good almost from the jump in Miami. Sub-3 ERA, 118 whip, more than a strikeout per inning at the time that the Marlins traded him. And He's really only gotten a little better in the time since, getting the walk rate down and I think taking a pretty big step forward this season with the Diamondbacks. Let's get to a few trending players. Another favorite on this show, Ezekiel Tovar in Colorado. And if you haven't made the move for him in leagues where you're allowed to keep a very small number of prospects, I think that window is slamming shut. So watch your fingers what can't this guy do from a fantasy perspective? It's one of the biggest breakouts in the minor leagues. And I think if you're looking at top 100 list 
at the beginning of the season and you start looking at mid-season updates as more of those come in, I think Tovar is going to be among the biggest risers on most of those lists. Yeah, and one of the uh, answers to that, I'm assuming is a hypothetical question of what can he do in fantasy, I might say maybe uh, not be great for OBP leagues, but he's walking this year, so uh, he's even doing that now. Uh, The strikeout rate's up a little bit too, but I'm not going to say that he's not going to be able to hit for average because he's still going to have Coors Field for for a home park. Uh, So yeah, great across the board uh, potential there from Tovar. 60% better, 160 WRC plus so far. At double A in his age 20 season, Tovar will turn 21 in August, and I imagine we'll see him at the Futures game in just a few weeks. Another very frequently discussed player on Twitter. I don't know if we've talked about him a lot on this show yet, which is surprising as a member of the Brewers organization. But Jackson Churio, another fast mover. And I'm already sad that when he gets to Appleton, which is now the high A affiliate for the Brewers, that I won't be there to see it live in person because for years I wanted great prospects to go to Appleton so I could make that little two-hour drive up from Madison and I think the last time I did it Clay Link and I took a road trip and we went to watch Cody Medeiros remember Cody Medeiros vaguely yes (laughs) former former first rounder I think the delivery was a little a little Chris Salian at least I think that was that was one of the comps people wanted to throw out there on him, but uh, that's a name I haven't thought about in a while. Unfortunately, we haven't seen Cody Medeiros uh, get to the big leagues yet. Currently, I think in the Angels organization, pitching at AAA. But that was the last time I made the trip up there. I think Hedbert Perez would have been a guy that I would have gone to see if things in the last couple of years were normal. But Chorio, right now in Carolina, the Brewers' low A affiliate, a bit like Tovar, just in the sense that you look and there's really not a a skill that you look for and say, mm, I don't, I don't really know about that. Uh, the power and speed compared to Tovar lighter on a per game basis, but we're talking about a teenager in his first full season assignment with a 355, 404, 609 slash line so far, just incredible uh, performance to this point. And probably a guy that if they want to be aggressive, they could justify a promotion to Appleton this season. I think because of his age, it's not as much of a certainty as it might be otherwise. Yeah, it's just mind-boggling what he's accomplishing as an 18-year-old uh, with a 175 WRC+. Plus. Uh, so, again, that would seem to beg a promotion at some point this season. And if all goes well, it's a lot of ifs, a lot of levels to climb, and you know the injuries can always happen. But I have to wonder if maybe we do see him as a, a 20-year-old in Milwaukee. Yeah, the reason he's part of the trending players, too, and this is the the rubric we use most weeks we're just looking for players in the, on the prospect front whose roster rates are ticking up over on CBS so even in some of the the leagues where I think Tovar might have been picked up a few weeks ago Churio sort of making his way into that conversation maybe prospect leagues where three to five minor leaguers are kept he might be one of your last minor leaguers you've been trading players if you lost them with an injury or someone was promoted Uh, Really, really encouraging signs from him. One pitcher among the trending players, another pitcher in the Dodgers organization, shocker, Gavin Stone, who was a fifth rounder in the shortened 2020 draft, really putting up some nice numbers, has split his season so far between high A and double A. He's got an ERA under two at both stops. At double A so far, 40 strikeouts in just 26 innings and doing it with excellent control as well. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know how the Dodgers keep coming up with these guys. We saw Michael Grove a little bit earlier uh, with a, a cup of coffee uh, for the Dodgers. He's, by the way, since gone up to AAA and has not done very well there. So uh, I don't expect that we'll necessarily see Stone make another leap this year. But uh, yeah, definitely another Dodgers pitcher to, to keep on the radar. And where do they find him? This was uh, a pick out of Central Arkansas in that shortened 2020 draft. So they're finding pitchers everywhere and I think that's a big part of why they've got so many pitchers piled up in this system let's get to our level roundup focusing on high a on this week's show and let's start with Mason Wynn who is now focusing on playing shortstop in the Cardinals organization he's taken a big step forward at the plate and he's already been promoted out of high a but I thought we should talk about him because I don't think he's been in any of the rundowns uh, at least the ones that you and I have done together so far this season. A 300, 346, 543 line early on now in double A. Power still developing, but for a guy that was a two-way player up until last season, I think it's easy to give him a pass in this case. Well, I'm very glad that you did include him on this show's rundown because he was on the rundown for the show that you missed uh, where Michael Beller was on, uh, but we didn't really get to talk about him very much. So uh, just uh, one thing that's kind of interesting, a little puzzling, is the 15 for 15 perfect uh, stolen base record. While he was in high A, he's already played 17 games at double A. He's only made two attempts and been successful in one of those. So I don't know how much concern, if any, there should be over that. But, uh, you know, otherwise, this is a, a hitter who just uh, is is making the leap uh, successfully. One thing I'm keeping a really close eye on, though, is the, the ISO. And ISO actually looks really good at both stops, even though we're not seeing a ton of homers. Four combined homers over 50 games this season for Mason Wynn. Three of those four home runs have come in the last 17 games since the promotion. Again, very encouraging. This is a, a massive step forward for him this season and a guy that I think will be taking, understandably, large leaps up prospect lists as those are updated. The other bats of interest that I stumbled into looking at the high A leaderboards are some names that we haven't talked about really at all, at least on, again, on our show. Maybe in some of the other prospect universes, these guys have been on the radar for a little while, but Colin Barber in the Astros organization uh, was a fourth rounder out of college in 2019, played in 16 games between the lost 2020 minor league season and then 2021. He's hitting more balls in the air, has a 329, 434, 536 line, seven home runs so far, K rate under 20% and a 12.7% walk rate. Looks like a guy that can do just a little bit of everything for us as he continues to advance. Yeah, maybe not somebody that we would look at for, for stolen base help. Um, not a lot of success there so far this year, but yeah, everywhere else. You love to see the great plate discipline too, and you figure that as he rises up uh, through the Astro system that that, that can portend uh, some, some good other things. Yeah, and I see the 60-grade speed on the Fangraph's uh, tools on his player page, so I'm wondering how patient the Astros might be with him, giving him more opportunities. Based on success rates, you're absolutely right. I think as a, as a minor leaguer in parts of three seasons now, he is 7 for 13. Not exactly what you're looking for against lower-level batteries, and with some of the rules in the lower levels also uh, being more favorable toward base dealer, some of the modifications that have been made there. But uh, it was a shoulder injury that cost him last season, suffered while diving for a ball. And 
it seems like a nice bounce back season from injury, especially love that he's hitting the ball in the air more often too. That really jumps off the page to me for a player that's trying to unlock some more power. Probably the deepest sleeper for me of this bunch is John Rhodes in the Orioles system. It has a 437 OBP, a higher walk rate than a strikeout rate, what I'm going to call non-zero power, and he's 11 for 11 as a base dealer. Just a, a bit of a, a deep sleeper that I think people really haven't thought all that much about outside of Baltimore. Yeah, and I'm certainly uh, guilty of that as well. And yet uh, you take a look at what he's uh, accomplished and it's really impressive. And uh, the the one area where I know there was some concern was power. He's got a 198 ISO, which is, which is yeah, it's good. Um, and yet he's got a fly ball rate that I think is in excess of 50%, I think around 53%. I'm not sure, again, how much stock we put in that given the relatively small sample, but there there is some power there. And uh, perfect in stolen bases in his minor league career so far. Has not been thrown out in 17 attempts. Yeah, looking at the write-up that Keith Law had from his Orioles preview back in February. Rhodes was a third rounder, by the way. Uh, Had a reputation as one of the best pure hitters in the college class the year that he was drafted. He was young for the draft, turning 21 a month after he was selected. Doesn't get any power from his legs right now, hurting his overall contact quality. The corner outfielder has a good approach and is a great candidate for a rebuild at the plate with player development's help. It seems like some of that might be happening. We'll see if the uh, doubles power turns into home runs as he spends more time at the high A level over the course of the season. And one more name, again, more of the sleeper variety, Colt Keith. I think I've seen this on Twitter a little bit, but I haven't really seen a deep write-up on him just yet. Also, in my own defense, haven't been digging around looking for a lot of stuff on Tigers prospects outside of this show. He's splitting time between second and third base, also unlocking some more power and showing great plate skills, too. I'm wondering just how much he's going to jump up lists. Is he is he a guy or is he just a guy? (laughs) Well, I I think he's a guy because he's doing what he's doing as a 20 year old at high A and already getting a little bit of attention. Only a one percent roster rate in CBS leagues, but seven percent on fan tracks. And those tend to be the highest roster rates for dynasty leagues. So it, Keith is is getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of attention. I'm also on the side looking at this profile that this is more of a legit prospect. Age to level is a huge part of it for Colt Keith. He'll turn 21 in the middle of August. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. A few arms of interest to get to on this episode. One guy in particular that there's not a lot out there about, Juan Mercedes in the Mariners organization. Just looking for surprising players this season and 
look, he's among the leaders in K minus BB percentage at the high A level so far. I love that metric. It's just a good catch all metric to at a glance. Can this guy pitch? Usually you're going to find one of two things someone that has good control and a decent or better strikeout rate, or you're going to find someone with an exceptional strikeout rate and shaky control or command. And usually, you know, you can kind of figure out okay, this guy's got two pitches and one's clearly plus and you know he's going to be a reliever because the command's probably never going to be there or you can kind of go the opposite route and and figure things out and oh hey look this guy actually has three pitches and knows where it's going so maybe there's a sleeper pitching prospect here which I think is always a little more fun when you can find them and I think that's probably more what we have with Juan Mercedes maybe someone that we just didn't really have high expectations for in part because of his age he started this season He's 22 years old already. I'm not going to worry about that. A 31% K rate at high A with a 5.6% walk rate, that'll play. I just have him as more of like a watch list sort of guy where I want to see what happens against double A competition because that's more age appropriate for him. Yeah, yeah, that's just a step away now. And it's it's intriguing because he had a similar strikeout rate in 2021 at Class A. Uh, that was all in relief. And uh, he, he uh, threw 63 in a third inning, so there clearly was some long relief in there. Uh, but still, you know, averaging uh, about five innings uh, per per outing this year, and that that strikeout rate has translated to a higher level. So yeah, that's super intriguing. The other names on this list for this week, there's Connor Phillips in the Reds organization. And based on the scouting grades, and I think it's now backed by results, command is really the only issue here. But he's in the trickier boat of when you look at some of the scouting reports, they point to three big league quality pitches and then below average command. From a general profile perspective, when you're speculating on prospects in a deep league, Al, is this still something that you're interested in taking a chance on? knowing that if the command doesn't get better as he advances, he'll be a fantastic reliever because three pitches like that usually portends long-term success. And you know maybe there's some growing pains on the, the starting pitcher front if they keep pushing him down that road. But if it works, maybe you get the next Dylan Cease. You get a player more like that sort of profile who breaks in and eventually starts to make those adjustments at the highest level. Yeah, no, he's certainly somebody that I'd be interested in, given that pitch mix, given that uh, he's just got a, a ridiculous uh, strikeout rate uh, at high A, uh, 37.1%, uh, and he's been in that neighborhood uh, uh, both uh, this year and last year. Uh, yeah, 78 strikeouts in 54 innings. I mean, you hope that the walks get better, but it's if he's available in your dynasty league, I just don't see how you pass up on that kind of strikeout upside. Yeah, ratios have been great so far at high A this season. 283 ERA, 106 whip, and that's 78 strikeouts in 54 innings. If you've seen the name before, it might be because he was the player to be named later in that trade that sent Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez to Seattle. Uh, Ryan Costew in the Angels organization, also an interesting name. A seventh rounder out of Arkansas just a year ago, and it seems like we've had a handful of Angels pitching prospects pop up on the show this year, which is... Uh, Encouraging sign for the future, I think, given some of the past, well, recent past issues they've had as an organization developing pitching. 
yeah, yeah, a little bit of a, a surprise to see that, but uh, Castillo looking uh, looking good in high A and trending upward. Um, walks were a little bit of an issue uh, in his first starts this year, but only three walks over his last four starts uh, against 23 strikeouts over 20 innings. So uh, pretty nice ratios there for Castillo and uh, definitely a player, if not to, to add in Dynasty, certainly to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely worthy of a watchlist spot, kind of maybe comparable to Juan Mercedes in that regard. I think when you look at uh, age to level, Costi is the more interesting player. If you can take a flyer right now and you only got one roster spot to use on those two guys, but uh, definitely a trio of arms that I think you want to keep an eye on. And we'll throw the deep sleeper label on Juan Mercedes as we try and get a better feel for what he might bring to the table in the long run. I do want to do some leaderboard surfing at the big league level among rookies and take a look at the rookies who are leading the league in barrel rate. And there's a name at the top that if you gave me, I don't know, give me four or five guesses, I probably wouldn't have come up with him. It's Jake Berger, which starts to make sense if you've been following what he's done more recently. But Jake Berger has crushed the ball so far this season. And given some of the injury issues that the White Sox have dealt with, more playing time than expected. He is day-to-day right now with a hand injury. He got hit by a pitch in Monday's game, so hopefully that turns out to be nothing. But eight homers now in 38 games for Berger and increasingly looking like someone who might have a long-term future as a regular. We're up to 186 career plate appearances, so about a third of a big league season. Berger's hitting 271 with a 324 OBP and a 5 hundred slugging percentage as a member of the White Sox going back to last season. Yeah, I think he's hit his way into uh, an everyday role and uh, up to this point, I guess I was was being a little biased based on last season where I felt like Berger didn't really get a, a good opportunity, but uh, you know, he, he is top this leaderboard, like you say, uh, by a big margin, by the way. And number two is um, Jack Sawinski which might also be, it was a surprise to me, I'll put it that way, uh, that he was second on this list and he's two and a half percentage points behind Berger in uh, barrel rate. So they both are ahead of uh, Seiya Suzuki, Christopher Morrell, Nolan Gorman, MJ Melendez, Julio Rodriguez. These are all players that are up on the list, Jeremy Pena. So you, you look at those comparisons, that really tells you how much power Berger is hitting with so far. Yeah, I... Very pleasantly surprised to see him at the very top of that list. There's other names on here that I was surprised to see. Emmanuel Rivera in the Royals organization also popping on this list near near the top in, in that range. I mean, I think it's the 7th, 8th, and the 6th. 10.9% so far this season, making a lot of hard contact. Average lagging quite a bit behind XBA. Uh slugging percentage lagging behind x slug but just one of those guys that if you were looking at the surface stats and that's what i've been doing when i see him on the waiver wire every week looking a little more at the surface stats not thinking about him as someone that had much of a prospect pedigree in deeper leagues especially i've been just passing on him but there might be a little more there with emmanuel rivera than i realized i think so too yeah he came up on a recent episode uh, that i did with beller and it, it's also been kind of the Edward Oliveras question mm-hmm. with Rivera, uh, but you know, sort of similar to what I was saying about uh, Jake Berger, that I think he has played his way into uh, some more uh, steady playing time, and uh, he's uh, you know, been getting regular run at third base. I was a little concerned about how that uh, 
might go over the the, the longer term uh, with Hunter Dozier maybe being an option there. But uh, yeah, he, I think he's definitely somebody to target in 50 teamers. Yeah, MJ Melendez, Julio Rodriguez, also inside the top 10. Uh, Jake McCarthy, another surprising name maybe. Some people on there. So when there's playing time, perhaps a bit more deep league appeal with McCarthy than I had previously realized. And not surprisingly, Jeremy Pena, who got off to a really good start this season, still sitting in the top 10 in barrel rate at 9.6%. Uh, one of those guys that I think will be very good for a long time, if not better than people even expected as a prospect. So it looks like he's putting it all together at the big league level. Is there anybody who's a little bit lower on this list? Anyone else at the top 10 that even though they're not where you'd expect them to be, you are really not worried given that we're still talking about rookies who in many cases are under a hundred batted ball events or not far even above that. I mean, this is a partial season from guys breaking into the big leagues and we're still talking about a class of prospects who largely missed that 2020 season. And I think like even looking back at 2021, some of the numbers we saw from players were far from expectations, I think because of the, the rust of that lost season. Yeah. Uh, well, a couple of names from outside the top 10, that I would have definitely expected to be in the top 10. Spencer Torkelson, I think if you had asked me early on in the season, I would think I would have expected him to probably be number one on this list or maybe number two behind Gorman. Uh, so he's a little bit under 8%, which is still decent. Uh, you know, I think if Spencer Torkelson were sitting at like 5%, I'd be a little bit more worried. But I think there's there's going to be more power to come from him and Juan Yepes. Um, Maybe a little bit more concern there, but... Uh, I think uh, that that better things are coming for for both Torkelson and Yupes. Yeah, I can see myself ending up with a lot of Spencer Torkelson on my rosters next season. I don't know how much I'll be trading for him in leagues where I'm allowed to make trades for this year, just because I think he's still going through the adjustments that every young player has to go through at the big league level. But I do like that he's still taking his share of walks, 11.2% for his walk rate. He's not chasing a lot of pitches outside the strike zone, too. 26.4% is really good for a rookie uh, O-swing percentage. So I see more reasons to be optimistic than pessimistic in the profile. I think a big part of why the power hasn't been there so far, Torkelson has a 45.4% ground ball rate so far in his first 55 games with the Tigers. He's never been close to that in the minor leagues. The highest ground ball rate we saw from him a year ago was what he had in 50 games at AA at 35.9%. So pretty big difference there already. I think as Torkelson continues to see big league pitching and makes adjustments, we're going to get the player we were expecting. He's going to hit. So this is a good opportunity in long-term leagues especially. Again, if you're playing for the future, Torkelson becomes available because someone's trying to go all in. It's a great time to buy before everything begins to fall into place for what should be one of the better young power hitters in the game sooner rather than later we need to go uh, before we go i'll remind you you can get that one dollar per month special at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast you can find al on twitter at al melchior bb you can find me at Derek van riper we're back with you wednesday with under the radar
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.